Welcome to the weekly service message from the Crossbridge Church. Look for us on the web at www.crossbridgeny.org. Join us now as Pastor Nate Young delivers this week's message. Go ahead and open uh, your Bibles up to 1 John. Uh, Today and for the next several weeks, we're going to be in uh, the book of 1 John. Today we're going to be looking at 1 John 1, verses 1 through 4. In this particular sermon, one of the things that I'm, I'm hoping to, or, or maybe the primary thing I'm hoping to accomplish, is to encourage you, as the title of the sermon is worded, to get back in the fight. For, for us, oftentimes in our lives, we, we might find ourselves in a couple different places. We might be struggling with the nature of our faith. We might be going through difficult circumstances. Or even on the other side, we may find ourselves having a, a very good time. Things might be going very well for us. And, and let me suggest to you that, that no matter where we are in our walk with Christ currently, the temptation will potentially always be to take our eyes off of Jesus Christ and focus them on our circumstances. And it's very important that no matter what uh, spot we find ourselves in that spectrum, it's very important for us to time, at times to take moments to be reminded of who Jesus Christ is and that he is worthy to be worshiped. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a Hobbit Lord of the Rings nerd. Any, any Hobbit Lord of the Rings nerds in the house? Okay, good. Did you at least see the movie? Did you see the... Because I don't want to be that guy like, I read the book, it's way better than the movie. Just so that you know that I, I read a book, right? That's not the point. But it is. All right, the book's definitely better than the movie. But in the movie, towards the, the end of the movie, there's a scene in which... The dwarves are at battle with the elves, and, and some of the dwarves are inside this castle that they're trying to hold. And the elves are beating back the dwarves in battle. And then all of a sudden, the king bursts forth from the castle and goes to war with the rest of the dwarves. And there's a cry that Dane, who's the, the uncle of Thorin, yells to the army as the king comes forward. He says, to the king, to the king. And all of the army is invigorated in that moment to rally to their king, even though all seems lost, they rally to their king to re-engage in the battle. And today, my, my goal is to encourage you to be rallied to your king, that as we see Jesus Christ revealed in this particular text, that you would be invigorated to fight the slow fade of faith that you would be invigorated by the foundation of your faith, which is Jesus Christ, our Savior and King, and then respond accordingly to this call to the King. Before we get to the content of our sermon today, I want to invite you to stand with me for a reading from the Word of God. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, it says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, 
and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is a reading from the Word of God. You may be seated. I think, as I said, one of John's main goals in this particular text is to exalt Christ as the foundation of our faith. And, and I think he does this in this text in four ways. For those of you who like uh, acronyms or memory tools, you can remember the, the letters D-L-E-P. D-L-E-P. Because John is exalting Christ in, in four ways. His deity, his life-giving nature, his eternal nature, and his personal nature. Christ's deity, his life-giving nature, his eternal nature, and his personal nature. In this particular text, there's something that we're, we're pushed to consider, especially about the deity of Christ, and here, here it is. Jesus Christ was the most complete revelation of God. Jesus Christ was and is the most complete revelation of God. John, in John chapter 14, verse 9, testifies to this. But the, the big question in the beginning of this particular text is, in fact, the word beginning. It says, that which was from the beginning. Now, this could be the creation of the world or the beginning of the preaching of the gospel. And let me suggest to you that throughout this particular letter, John is going to use beginning in both of those ways. He's going to talk about the creation of the world, but also the beginning of the preaching of the gospel. And I believe that John is using it here in reference to the beginning of the world. He uses the word beginning in this letter in this sense, three more times in reference to the creation or the beginning of the world. He does that in 1 John 2, 13 and 14, and 1 John 3, verse 8. But as we begin to read this particular text, there is something that should happen in our mind, especially if we're using the gospel of John as the foundation for our understanding of the letter of John, of 1 John. John, uh, 1 John chapter 1 starts with, that which was from the beginning, we have heard and have we seen with our eyes, which we looked upon with our hands, concerning the word of life. Now, for those of you that know John, the gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, how does that start? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, in John chapter 1, verse 1, John is very clearly making connections to Genesis chapter 1. But what is the point that John is making here? Here is the simple point. Jesus is God. And what God does, Jesus does. And what Jesus does, God does. Because both are God. Now, there's a reason that I want to stress this so uh, 
so sternly to you because in this day and age, even amongst quote-unquote biblical scholars, people want to separate the Trinity in particular between the Old Testament and the New Testament. People want to say, well, the God of the Old Testament was this angry, malicious, killing God, and then the God of the New Testament in Jesus Christ uh, pets lambs and talks to children, and he's kind and he's soft. But that is not true. Does Jesus do those things? Yes, But there is no separation between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament because God is the same yesterday, today, and he will be for all eternity, brothers and sisters. John gives the most exalted view of the deity of Christ. I'm just going to list these for you, and I want these passages, along with how Jesus is described as a deity, to wash over you and encourage you. So listen, take these in, write them down as quickly as you can. If not, just soak this in. Soak in the reality of the deity of Jesus Christ. From the Gospel of John all the way through the first letter of John, this is how John declares the deity of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, Jesus is the creator of everything. In John chapter 1, verses 14 and 18, God is in the flesh made known to us. In John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, Jesus, God, is the knower of human hearts. In John 3, 16 through 18 and 35 and 36, Jesus is our Savior. In John chapter 4, verses 14 through 15, he is the well of living eternal water. In John chapter 5, verses 18, 20 through 21, 25, through 27, Jesus is equal to God because he is God. In John chapter 14, or John chapter 5, verses 21 through, or 20 through 22, and 25 through 27, again, he is the life-giving judge. In John chapter 11, verses 41 through 44, he is the resurrector. In John 20, 28, he is Lord and God. In John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 23, he is the one, the one who has confessed, Jesus has confessed the Father. In 1 John 4, 14 and 15, Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. In 1 John 5, 5, he is the overcomer of the world. In 1 John 5, 10 through 13, he is the one who gives eternal life. Brothers and sisters, who could do all of these things and be all of these things except God himself, Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is God. But not only is he God, this text tells us that he gives life. This text says that he is the word of life. Again, this is a throwback to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Turn over there with me really quickly. Let's look at a few verses. John, chapter 1. Verses 3 through 5. All things were made through him, and was without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light that shines in the darkness 
and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 3 tells us that Jesus was the creator of the world in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 3, that everything was made through him. And we might be tempted to think that the life that was in Christ in verse 4 is actually directly related to the creation of the world. But the verse goes on to tell us this life was light. And verse 5 tells us that this light has overcome darkness. Now, it is true that Genesis tells us that the world was filled with darkness as in the absence of light at its creation. But John is not just talking about the absence of light here. He tells us in John chapter 3, verse 19. John chapter 3, verse 19. It says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than light because their works are evil. The darkness that John is talking about here is sin. And that darkness has been overcome with the life, the salvation in Jesus Christ. Paul testifies to this as well in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. He says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Many people will spend their entire lives and all their resources trying to prevent death. I saw an article this week about a man named Brian Johnson. Uh, He's heading up a, a project that's called the Blueprint Project. After several years, he spent $2 million. Johnson, who's 45, has managed to achieve the heart of a 37-year-old along with the skin of a 28-year-old. That's the one that blows me away. And the lung capacity of an 18-year-old. He is trying to reverse aging. He is trying to continually stave off death. He's looking for a life that does not end. And friends, let me tell you, I am so thankful for our medical uh, field. I'm thankful for our doctors. I love them. God bless them. But doctors can't permanently prevent death. But Christ can. Christ can grant to us eternal life because of the third thing that this tells us, Christ's Nature is eternal. In 1 John 1, verse 1, John has described Jesus as the word of life. It is Jesus that gives life to those who believe in him. But in verse 2, we find that this life is eternal life. John is not just talking about eternal life, in the sense of of life that lasts forever, but he is talking about a person. Look at the end of verse 2. What does it say? This eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. The eternal life was made manifest to us, meaning that it was revealed for us to see. And this is so crucial that we understand that Jesus Christ is eternal. Because to be able to give eternal life, the one giving it must be eternal himself. Stop stop to contemplate this for a moment. 
Because I think sometimes we use these words like eternal, and they're almost lost on us because they've become so common to us. Like, like think about this for a second. How far back do your memories go? What's the earliest thing you can remember? For me, it's a baseball game. Sorry, Mets fans, but, but I'm a Cardinals fan by birth and choice, so apologize. Not really. One of my first memories was with my parents at Bush Stadium in St. Louis, Missouri. I remember it. I was five years old. But I don't have any memories that predate that. I, I don't remember being born. I don't remember anything that happened before that. Maybe, maybe here's another question. When considering eternality, how long do you hope to live? How long do you want to live for? 75, 82. I think the oldest living person right now is either 113 or 115. Do, do you want to live that long? Does it bother you that your life may come to an end at some point? Friends, in God's eternal nature, he does not have either one of those limitations. His memories extend beyond the beginning of the world before time began, and his life will continue on into eternity and has no limits. That's what eternal means. And God as, or Jesus as God, Jesus as life-giving, Jesus as eternal, in some sense actually doesn't have as much bearing on us unless that same God personally interacts with us. Not only is Jesus Christ a deity, not only is he life-giving, not only is he eternal, he is personal. Look at the testimony of John the Apostle in, in 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The apostles have a very special role in testifying and proclaiming as eyewitnesses to Jesus. They heard his voice. They have seen him. They understood what he is doing. They looked upon him with continuous contemplation, and in fact, they even touched him. God, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, becomes so personal that he takes upon himself a physical body, and his apostles testify to the fact that they were able to touch Jesus Christ, who is God. But in verse 2, we find that this life that existed before the beginning, that is eternal, that is God, made himself manifest to us. This word, this logos in, Greece, in Greek, is incredibly personal. John, in his gospel, in chapter 1, verse 14, says it this way. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, 
and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. There is so much to Christ's first coming, his being made manifest to us, that is significant to us as believers. Because our our sins can never be forgiven unless the God of the universe takes on human flesh, he becomes us, lives a perfect life, dies a perfect death in our place. The God of the universe has to become personal to us in his human nature. And yet at the same time, he makes himself so personal to us that the scriptures tell us that when we confess Jesus Christ and repent of our sins, he comes and he dwells in us through the person and work of the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what John here is going to call us to do. John's buildup in this particular text is to reveal Christ in such a high and mighty way that a response to who Jesus Christ is should just be normal in our lives. And this is the way that I've put it in in point two for you today. An exaltation of Christ should lead us to fight the slow fate of faith with three responses. Three responses that we see in this particular text to seeing Christ high and lifted up. Number one, proclamation. The apostles in this personal interaction with Jesus Christ of of hearing him and seeing him and looking upon him and touching him says then in verse 2, the natural response was for them to testify of what they had seen and heard. They testify and proclaim. They give witness to an eyewitness report to what they had seen Jesus Christ do and what they had experienced of him in, his, in their lives. He says in, in verse 3, what they had seen and heard, they also proclaim to, uh, to those who would read this letter. This is a repeat of the sentence that started in, in verse 1. But let me, let me encourage you to think about proclamation in this way. What would have happened if the apostles heard, saw, looked upon, touched Jesus Christ, and then kept it all to themselves? What would have happened to the spread of the gospel if the apostles don't fulfill the role that they've been given of proclaiming the gospel? Let me say it to you this way. We could not have fellowship with Christ without the word of the apostles. John says this in chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. This is Jesus praying on behalf of the apostles. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Brothers and sisters, when we see the testimony of the apostles in the revealed word of God, there should be in us a rejoicing and a thankfulness that God would use these men to deliver the gospel at some point in the future to us. Their proclamation and their testimony of the gospel has reaped a harvest even in this room 
of souls that will now have fellowship with Jesus Christ because of their testimony. But this proclamation, according to this particular, ver- this particular section of verses, has a specific purpose. The proclamation has a purpose. He tells us what that purpose is in verse 3. He says, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you so that, that's a purpose clause in, in Greek, so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. One of the the issues in today's day and age is that this idea of fellowship, which is the purpose of the proclamation, that we would receive salvation, have fellowship with God the Father, and then have fellowship together as his church. One of the problems in today's day and age is that fellowship has been defined any number of ways. We would say that for church fellowship, as good, fundamental, independent Baptist, always includes a meal. Amen? There must be some sort of fried food, maybe some bacon if you really love your pastor. And we would constitute that as fellowship. And although I think that can happen in fellowship, we must make sure that we understand what fellowship is and how it's been exampled to us by Jesus Christ. So here's a definition of fellowship. Setting aside of private interest and desire and joining in with another or others for common purposes. Let me say that to you again. Setting aside of private interest and desire, and joining in with another or others for common purposes. Friends, there has been no greater example of this to us than in the personal work of Jesus Christ. He sets aside his own life for the purpose of having fellowship with us, that we would all now be committed to the same goal under the banner of Jesus Christ. And I want you to be encouraged. Look around this room. God has done something in our church that is only explainable through the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no one in here looks like this, right? And thank God, because I don't like it when I look in the mirror either, amen? This is one of the most diverse places I have ever been in my life. What is the thing that unifies us? It's not that we like all the same sports teams. It's not that we even like the same food. It's not that we all come from the same ethnic backgrounds or we work at the same place. The thing that unites us together in fellowship is Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can set aside any differences or any private interests, and we can work together for the common purpose of what? Proclaiming the gospel. Or as we say in our purpose statement, for the purpose of bringing God glory by making gospel disciples. And we should revel in the fact that you and I can call each other brothers and sisters, not because of anything other than Jesus Christ wills it to be. And let me just say this to you on the other side. Do you know this fellowship that we're talking about, this special relationship that we have together that connects us together for a specific purpose the world is trying to have? 
It can't. Without Jesus Christ, this intimate fellowship that we have as the church is not possible. Let me explain what I mean by that. A few years ago, uh, I don't remember if it was the Time or the Wall Street Journal, wrote an article about what they called the Church of CrossFit. Do you guys know what CrossFit is? It's like the most insane workout ever. If you want to like throw up and, and uh, pass out, like that's your deal. But they would unite together for the common purpose of losing weight, being healthy, whatever it is. That is an attempt to have fellowship outside of the fellowship that's available in Christ. Now, I, I don't hate CrossFit. I used to actually do it, which is probably hard to imagine now. But this becomes more and more pervasive in terms of how the, the world wants you as believers in Jesus Christ, me as believers in Jesus Christ, to think that there is a more important fellowship than the fellowship that we have with Jesus Christ and with each other. All right, so remember, I'm just the messenger, and I love you, amen? Do you know I love you? One of the most pervasive world, ways in which the world has intervened in the church to take us away from fellowship with each other into something else is in the world of politics. If you think that you can have a sweeter fellowship with someone because they're the same political party as you than you can with Jesus Christ and his people, you may not understand the fellowship that we're talking about here. We've got to be on a lookout to recognize that the world constantly wants to intervene and have what God has without having God. But for us, we've got to recognize that fellowship with each other is built upon fellowship with God through Christ. Christ empowers the church for fellowship, for fighting sin, and for eternal life. Christ is all we need, brothers and sisters. To have the sweetest fellowship that, that could ever be imagined in us setting aside our desires to serve one another and to seek after the common purpose of making disciples, Christ is the foundation and the sustainer of that fellowship. But look, look again at what the end result is of proclamation that leads to fellowship and what does verse 4 tells us, tell us that it leads to? We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. In this particular passage, there's actually bookends here. There's this bookend of the Word, which is the writings, and the Word, which is Jesus Christ. And the picture that John is painting here for us is that the Word comes from the Word, making it authoritative. But the, the second, this is actually the second so that. Remember, we had a purpose clause before. So that we might have fellowship. We are writing these things to you so that our joy may be made complete. What he's saying here is that they were sharing these things that they knew about Christ so that they might all have fellowship with the Father and each other. And one of my greatest joys, especially as a father, is to get to share things with my kids. 
see them understand it, and then do the thing I showed them to do. One of those things in my life, and I know this might seem simple or, or trite, uh, is showing my kids how to play video games. Now, I, I know I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to remember when video games didn't exist. Do you remember that? It doesn't even seem like that is possible. And then there was this thing called Pong. You guys remember Pong with the knob? And kids, you can't even imagine this. The video games were just two sticks and a, like a square ball. And you had to bounce the ball back and forth like tennis. And then along came Atari. Atari was just a joystick with one button. And then Nintendo. And so now we had a, the touchpad with two buttons. And now I don't know if you've looked at video game systems recently. My, my kids have this thing called a Switch. And it has 400 buttons on the controller. I don't even know what half of them do. But we like to play this game together that's called Super Smash Bros. And shout out to my bro, Aiden Norton, who's the Smash Bros expert. If you guys don't know Smash Bros, talk to Aiden. He'll set you straight on how it works, all right? But here's, here's what's happened. I showed them how to play video games. They learned how to play video games. And you know what's happened now? I don't like to play video games with them anymore because they beat me every time. But brothers and sisters, this should actually be our goal in the fellowship together, that I would impart to you everything that I know about the gospel with the hope that you would grow in your faith to the point where you would pass me and outserve me and know the word better than me and maybe be a better preacher than me or whatever it is. We want to see each other in the proclamation of the gospel, fellowship together with joy that sees each other grow as disciples in such a way that we outgrow each other in the gospel of Jesus Christ. John is writing them this particular letter to let them know that they have fellowship with God so that they can fight sin and that they have eternal life. Joy is the response to fellowship with and in Christ. Disciples that make disciples are completely filled with joy as disciples are made and as they themselves are made into disciples. Here's the simplest way to say it. This is what I think he's communicating. Proclamation leads to fellowship and fellowship leads to joy. We have to have this as the core of our thinking because in today's day and age, to serve other people is never associated with the term joy. But in God's economy, in fellowship with Jesus Christ and in fellowship with each other, joy is the outworking of those particular things. And one day, brothers and sisters, our joy will be made complete when we see Jesus Christ face to face and we hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But until that day, let us see Jesus Christ as high and lifted up as he truly is and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and have fellowship with one another that leads us to joy in Christ and the service of each other. Let's ask the Lord now to help us do these things.
Lord, we are so thankful that you have revealed yourself to us. You would be unknowable because of how great you truly are by our finite, limited minds unless you communicated to us what you are like. And you have so graciously done so through this book called the Bible. Not only have you revealed to us what you are like, you have revealed to us what you expect of us. We don't have to try to figure it out on our own. We don't have to run all these tests to try to figure out what you want and what you don't want. Instead, you've put down in your word who you are and what it takes to, to follow you. What a gracious thing you have done for us. But Lord, help us to see who you are. And, and as your church, proclaim the gospel to those who do not know. Proclaim the gospel to those who do know so that we might have fellowship in the gospel that leads to joy in you and in seeing others be made into disciples. Lord, may we never see the task of disciple-making, of proclaiming the gospel as burdensome, but instead help us to be joyous as we do it. Lord, I also ask that there, if there is anyone who is here today or is watching online that does not know this fellowship that we're talking about, that today would be the day that you would open their hearts and minds and with joy they would receive the gospel and that we as a church would be able to come alongside them and help them grow in fellowship with you and with your church. Lord, if we have adopted worldly thinking in terms of fellowship, Lord, reveal that to us. Help us to get any worldly thinking out of our hearts and minds and to cling to your sure word that teaches us what fellowship truly is. Lord, help us today to be a light in this world that is divided and dark and cursed by sin, that we might be a beacon of hope and joy. Help us to do this even today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please feel free to share this message, but remember, don't charge for it or change it. The Lord's message should be free and for everyone.